Hello, this is Alora Chestikoff from Firebird Summit, and welcome to the current episode of Grow or Die with me and Lawrence Henderson, taking on business, personal development, professional development, and career and leadership topics that come up and trying to see if we can have a great conversation. Each episode is released on a weekly basis, and we welcome you to join us in real time. Find the information on our site. Welcome to the conversation. All righty, welcome. This is Alora from Firebird Summit. Welcome to this week's episode of Grow or Die. I am here with my partner. Hey. What's going on, Alora? I am Lawrence Henderson from Boss. Yes, indeedy. All right, boss. Ah, so, how's your week been going? Week's been going well. Um, been having some really, really good conversations and some organization conversations around um, how our leaders getting better. So I think everybody's kind of catching their groove now um, in in what their next normal, which was a, was a term I got thrown out at a chapter meeting yesterday, which I love, um, versus the new normal. Everybody, you know, talking about the next normal um, in in growth. So, which which has me ready. For for our topic today. Okay, well, in that case, let's go ahead and get started. This week's mystery box. You're yeah. up with the topic. So hit All me right. with it. All right. So how do you transition through understanding and using your mind to thrive? Hmm. Transition through understanding. You mean to like arriving at a place of understanding? Yeah. Arriving, yeah. I like that better. Yeah, arriving at a place of understanding. Okay, that's a good question. Um, all right. Well, I would say that, you know, the first the first key to understanding anything has to be being open to it. Um, you know, and I think the thing that um is sometimes the hardest is recognizing when we have blind spots that keep us from actually understanding or, or being open, I think is probably the first piece, right? I mean, we can, we can uh, understand, but not unless we're open to it. And we're not always open to it, which we're not always aware of until exactly. something causes us to develop that awareness. So I guess the first thing, if you're trying to get to a point of, of understanding something is just questioning how curious you really are and how open you are to um, new information or a new perspective. Um, I think a lot of people are probably um, more comfortable with new information or, or with the idea of new information rather than the idea that there might be a need to change perspective. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's the first question, right? How, how yeah. open to it am I? Exactly. Um, and then really it's, then you have to start getting curious. And I think that, that one is, um, you know, I think it's, it's funny for me because this was a big thing when we went through coaching training, right? was, you know, yeah. be curious. And, and, yeah. and the only way to be good about being curious is to suspend judgment about what you're hearing so that you can continue to kind of dig and ask more. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, it's, it's something that, um, is comes really naturally for some people mm -hmm. um but that doesn't mean that if it doesn't come naturally for you you can't do it you just have to learn to do it 
Sure. Um, and I think that's, that's probably one of the harder things. Like for me, that's actually a tough one. So, uh, you know, the whole open-ended question thing is such a core part of coaching training. And, you know, after spending 20 years in uh, technology implementation, like when you have an enterprise system mm. that needs to be implemented, you cannot ask your client open-ended questions about what they want because they'll go off the ranch and you're like, no, 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 no. System doesn't do that. You get yeah. option A, option B, maybe option C. Like those yeah. are your choices. So, so for me, it was a really hard adjustment to realize that I had to completely recalibrate 20 years of my career where I was very clear about asking guided limited questions to asking open-ended questions and to just being okay with them unraveling and unfolding wherever they went. Um, And so for me, that's been an interesting thing to watch is that I've gotten much better at it. I still have to make a conscious effort to do it sometimes. Um, But then I see other people for whom it comes so naturally. I'm like, wow, that was cool. They just like, just like pull the string and the whole thing came unraveled. And like, how do you do that? So I think that's, that's the first part, right? You have to ask questions. And if you know that um, that's going to take work, you have to like step by step and you have to stay present and focused to do it. Um, I think the, that's, that's going to be the first piece and you have to see kind of where that takes you. The second part of your question is interesting because it's back to using your mind to kind of take you where you need to go. Sure. Um, that's an interesting question for me because actually sometimes I don't know that it's your mind that has to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, and it's funny because, you know, I am a classic ENTJ. Um, and when, and as, as a result, I'm like hyper rational, very, I struggle a lot to pay attention to my emotions. I have to remind myself that other people's emotions matter. Like it's just, I'm, I live in my head. And so for me, actually, it's not usually my mind that's, the challenge. It's usually the rest of me. It's usually, you know, having an emotional reaction to something or my emotions getting in the way and my brain being like, shut up, put your bitch in, man. Like, whatever, we're moving, you know? And like, I, I really struggle to have that kind of empathy for myself, much less always yeah. other people. So it's interesting that you ask how you do it for your mind, because I think, I think most people will lead one way or the other, right? I think some people are heart first, Mm-hmm. Others are brain first. And I think that whichever one it is, you have to bring the other one along. So if yeah. you're heart first, then yeah, you got to circle around to your brain. If you're brain first, you got to circle around to your emotions and do that. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure it has to be one or the other. I think you have to get them both going yeah. that way though. Sure. And I think everybody naturally tends to lead with one and yeah. then needs to kind of corral the other one. Yeah. And I think something that you said early on is a bigger player that I don't think a lot of people, unless you're aware, unless you've done the types of type of work that we've done around judgment and suspending that judgment, I think bringing that up is a very huge point for a, a lot of the listeners and the people watching is that you have to do some work. And that's why, again, I'm glad you brought that up as a number one thing. As you, and then before you go into mindset is, how are you judging yourself? How are you judging the situation? How are you judging the players involved um, in anything before you can even start thinking about how you do you have and understand what your mind is, is doing and how it's serving you? Um, and there's a book I love by um, 
Dr. Carolyn Leaf called uh, Think, Learn, Succeed. Um, and, and last, in Connecting Dots last week, you brought up the, the neuroscience mm -hmm. around what negative thinking or different things like that, um, that what it does to you. And in her book, she talks about how we're not built to be that anxiety, that pessimist, like she calls it, um, I think she calls it in her book, she calls it, it's actually mentally fracturing yourself when you go down those roads of having those negative thoughts, that negative self-talk, the gremlin talk. Um, and again, the gremlins from our, our coaching uh, in IPEC of those things, those blind spots and those things that, that's those stories you've told yourself for so many years that are now your, your realities, um, that you're actually over time, how much damage have you done to yourself mentally into where now you're actually blocking yourself from being successful because of all of that hurt and the different things like that. And so what I would, I want to know, how have you, Alora, how have you done the work of suspending judgment for yourself? Because I know you've done some huge work in that area. Yeah. That, so for me, that's a hard one. Um, that was, yeah. it's so funny because to me, that was probably the biggest, um, surprise in the coaching mm. training that we did was I really went in super confident that I, I didn't have a big judgment problem. And then once I got in, I was like, man, damn, that was worse than I thought it was. Um, and so for me, the judgment one has been a lot more difficult to, um, to stay aware of um, and to catch myself when I was doing it. Um, that one, I'm not... Again, to be fair, uh, this is another place I think meditation has been super helpful um, yes. because I think that what, so what, what my experience meditate, and again, right, there's a lot of reasons you can meditate. One of the reasons I finally really started doing it had more to do with the neuroplasticity research about it, you know, rewiring connections in your brain and, um, you know, and, and there are people who do it for spiritual reasons. That was in no way close to a reason I ever came, like it never would have occurred to me to do it for when, 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 when I saw meditation as a spiritual practice, I had no use for it because that was not something that held any appeal to me. The moment I saw it as something that could really strengthen my brain, then it became interesting for me. Yeah. Um, since then I've started discovering other physical benefits to it. So I, it's, it's helped reinforce it. But for me, it was about kind of understanding what was going on in my brain and, and developing a better way to strengthen and help influence the nice. things that were working. And so for me, the judgment piece has been a really great um, benefit from meditating because it kind of gives me that moment to stop and start separating out my feelings from my thoughts in a way that, you know, and, and I wrote about that kind of this week in my, in my weekly email because a lot of times we really jumble up what we think and what we feel. And yeah. sometimes it's, it's super hard to kind of start teasing those apart because they really are different things. And if yeah. we leave them as a jumble, they get overwhelming and can really get really hard to manage. And one can really overwhelm the other. And so for me, part of what meditation has been extremely helpful for is to sort of take a break and try to separate out my feelings from my thoughts a little bit so I can start yeah. seeing how they're interplaying and how they're triggering each other. Um, and that has made it much easier for me to start identifying 
what's causing me to be judgmental or what's causing me to have a judgment about something when I clearly didn't want to do that. And I didn't want to think of myself as someone who was doing that. Um, But I needed to start pulling those two things apart better to understand that. So for me, that's been a huge, huge help. And once you start seeing how, how they're different and you start seeing, okay, I, you know, I believe X, Y, and Z because I was taught these things. And so they, they originate from these thoughts and maybe these thoughts are valid or maybe they're different and they've changed. And, and you, until you start pulling them apart, it's really hard because they're independent variables. We think of them as one thing, but the truth is mm-hmm. that they, they are independent. And once you change one, it becomes much easier to manage the other one. But if you leave them as a big old jumbled pile of spaghetti, it's really hard yeah. to manage them. Yeah. And I, and I think that actually, you know, goes with the, the, the idea of, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And I think as people really think about, well, it's too messy to, to attack that. Well, if you break it down into its smaller bite sizes, I really believe and also take judgment out of it and say, hey, these are things I have to deal with. Right. Just like any other task in your life. Yes, there's some icky stuff that's coming along with it, right? Some emotions, some anger, some sadness, some, some joy, some frustration, whatever else is, is coming along for the ride. I think putting in being able to compartmentalize as best you can, I think, and really begin to do work. I think that's really when you begin to give yourself grace um, in doing this work. Um, and again, and I love how, again, you, the acknowledgement is that, and that's the other part of it, right? Are you acknowledging that you actually need to do work? Because there are some people who would have took your approach coming into the IPEC program and they, they wouldn't acknowledge that they actually needed more work. And they would have like, you know what? I've done good work up to this point and I may approach that later. And there are people I know today that continue to take that stance no matter what I say. And again, I, for the longest time and until the right person and the right scenario happened for me to actually hear that feedback and what actually was really happening and how I was really affecting people around me, then then I was full-blown open for the ride when I was like, man, empathy, the way I do empathy is, hey, my I'm a lead with the value of, I just got to get it out. And I, I got, I'm, yeah, I'm respecting you. I'm disrespecting you if I don't tell you how I feel. Well, it was a whole lot of judgment wrapped up in my explanations of how I felt about some folks. And I was cutting going in and cutting coming out. And I was like, man, you're a bleeder. That, that, that had nothing to do with me. <laughs> nothing to do with me. Right. That's on you. Right. And, and, but then I was like, well, man, that's, that's kind of yeah. bad. It's yeah. But bad. I was the one holding the knife. So maybe <laughs> I had something to do with that. Yeah. Well, no. And exactly. you know, it's funny too. So I love that you, I love that you bring that up. Right. Because I think one of the things, and I know this has been a huge struggle for me because, um, so I think we've talked about this a little bit before, mm-hmm. but when, when you go through the full Gallup assessment and they, mm-hmm. they break down all your talents, right. And they, they, they'll rank everything and they, they score uh, or they have the total of 34. And so, especially when you go into the certification training, like I did, they spend the whole time helping you kind of understand what's at the top of your list. And, and, you know, the default is five, but really most people claim about the top eight to 12 ish as like legitimate, consistent presence in your life Mm -hmm. and your work that you lean on a lot. 
But then we also actually look at what's at the bottom so that you can start understanding how, how it is that you accomplish the things that are at the bottom without leading that way, you know, kind of directly. And yeah. what was interesting for me, and it's super clarifying and very, very helpful for me to understand is for me, empathy is at the very bottom. Like it is wow. so low on the bottom. Now, the reality is that doesn't mean I can't be empathetic. It just means I get to it in a different way, right? I'm, sure. you know, first and foremost, I'm an activator and I'm about, I have a really strong focus. And like, there are things that I do that are very high on my list and that I, I do very naturally and very automatically. And like, I cultivate a lot of, of, um, momentum around those things. Mm -hmm. And over time they create, I use them to create um, opportunities for me to develop relationships with people that make me empathetic to them and nice. capable of being empathetic with them. But I don't lead with empathy. And it was really great to kind of see in this class that when I took it, you know, there was a guy in the class who has empathy in his top five. And he was, we were, it was a story that was being shared and it was a very emotional kind of, um, you know, very uh, heartfelt, like child with cancer kind of like story, mm -hmm. right? It's the kind that really like hits you hard, right? Yeah. And he, because he very much leads with empathy for him that had that, that story had like this visceral effect and it absolutely, because that's how he kind of enters the world is through that yeah. empathy first perspective. Whereas for those of us who don't lead with empathy, we can, we can definitely recognize that it was a sad or upsetting story, but immediately I go, you know, my brain goes, you know, very action oriented is okay. Well, so what do you do here? How do you solve for this? And how do you go take mm -hmm. care of that? And do they have enough health insurance? And do they have like, you know, my, yeah. you know, it's very tactical in the way that I approach that. And the mm -hmm. thing is, is that again, it doesn't mean that I'm not capable of empathy. It just means that I get there kind of indirectly. Nice. And so that has been enormously important for me when it comes to understanding how to be empathetic with myself when I'm struggling with something is that, okay, so yeah, I don't lead with empathy, not for myself, not for anybody. That's not how I enter the world first and foremost. Yeah. So what is it that it's going to take for me to be capable of being empathetic? And so for me, understanding, understanding my strengths and understanding that I get to empathy through connecting with somebody usually at work. It's one of the reasons that work relationships are such a huge priority for me sure. because I need kind of that context to throw us into a fire together so I can see how somebody, you know, tests their metal and how we work together yeah. under pressure. Because for me, that's the context that shows what I need to understand about you as a person and to mm -hmm. forge that bond so that then it's very easy for me to be empathetic later. Um, but I go in, so I kind of go in sideways that way and, and really starting to understand that about myself has made it so much easier for me to let myself off the hook when I feel like, wow, I just, you know, screwed up X, Y, and Z. And next thing I know, I'm talking to myself in a way that I wouldn't talk to, you know, somebody that I love and, yeah. and that that's not helpful. And I know, you know, again, from a neuropsychology perspective, I completely know that's not helpful. Yeah. Um, but really starting to understand sort of where, where my strengths really are and how to use them in the moment like that, I think has been, has made it much, much easier. That's a part of the reason I'm such a huge advocate for understanding yeah. your strengths and using them because yeah. we're all different. And to be able to say to your point, right, what does empathy mean to you? It means very different things to yeah. different people. And that doesn't mean that it's not important because I think it fundamentally is a quality that human beings, um, 
are, are universally better when we can demonstrate, mm-hmm. but we all have to come at it in the way that makes the most sense for us. Yeah. And it's not, it's not a one size fits all kind of thing. And I think sure. really starting to understand, you know, what, what does empathy look like for you, which you've mm-hmm. discussed before, you know, and, and we've kind of, kind of come back to, for me, it's a very difficult thing to, to just get to if you don't really, um, if you don't ever really stop and kind of think about it. And that's why, again, I, I love that Gallup kind of does that because it was just really funny to look at. I'm like, and what was even funnier was that actually I was at a table with four or four of us who were all women. All of us had empathy at the very, very bottom. And the people who had the empathy, the highest were all the guys in the room. And yeah. so like, we're just joking around about, you know, gender norms and all kinds of like hysterical, like, you know, yeah. cliches that were cropping up in that room, but it was still, it was super useful. And, and it, it really kind of like, it took a huge sort of sense of relief for me to realize, mm-hmm. oh my God, that's why I yeah. do things that way. Or that's why that's what comes naturally to me. Yeah. And especially because, you know, I had been sort of consuming so much Brene Brown in the year yeah. before I went into that class. I had been really like trying to be focused on being empathetic and, you know, and it was, I was frustrated with the extent to which the way I was trying to go about it might've worked for somebody else, but it wasn't working for me. And I didn't feel like I was getting anywhere. And so to sit there and look at it and say, oh God, it's because I don't, I don't start with empathy. I can get to empathy through other ways, but I can't just instantly say, okay, I'm going to go be super empathetic with, you know, a a situation or a person or something that I have no context for. I need more context to get into an empathetic perspective and then I can ease into it. But, um, really, really starting to separate out what does it take? And then what does it look like? Um, was, was a huge relief because I stopped feeling like I was screwing up so badly. (laughs) Um, but then it made it super clear for how to, how, what I needed to do to do it. Um, and that has made it a huge difference in my ability to do it both for myself and for other people. So I'm thinking what, what's coming up for me is in, in that explanation that you just so eloquently broke down of, of makes me think about the uh, Ken Blanchard situational leadership model of development that an individual needs to take, whether you're in development level one or development level four, which is you know the subject matter expert level. And I think understanding that we're all in a phase and identifying where we are and then what's going to work for us to navigate through these phases is as important as getting in hopefully that level of self-actualization becoming a development level four. But I think you said something key, the understanding not to isolate yourself. And it is in isolation where you could begin having that detrimental self-talk. And again, as educated and as knowledgeable as you can be, but you still did it. You still, that negative stuff started to come in because of the blind spots and because of the areas that you hadn't done work you started to do that to yourself. Then ah, you catch yourself. And, and I had someone that I was coaching that literally would get on themselves for getting on themselves. Like it, like it was the craziest <laughs> thing in the world. Like it was like, stop doing that. Well, don't be hard on you for telling yourself to stop doing that. Like I, I was like, stop, you're making me crazy. Yeah, um, as a hamster in a wheel. 
like it was total hamster in the wheel, right? And but I think the development levels, like once people actually identify and again suspend the judgment of, yeah, I'm at development level too, but what resources do I need to to go up, right? What who do I need to partner with? Do I now need is this town the time that I need to make this investment in a coach? Like what what does that look like? And then what type of coach, what type of person? And again, I love your your the coworker and the relational aspect of how do we succeed and have the mindset of success is I think this is a it's a shared success is a shared outcome. Yeah. And we we feel good when we have the ability to share with somebody mm-hmm. that we're thriving. Yeah. And the person that we share with is actually equally sharing in that experience with us. And, and again, I think that it's really important how you guard your heart because your success, you shouldn't be shared with everybody because I, I know the, the, the sour patch Susie or, or, you know, that just is going to crap on you or the, the non jolly Joe that is just like, he's angry all the time. Like, he's like, I'm not going to share with Joe. Like Joe is, that's not my guy, but I'm going to share with Laura because Laura genuinely can celebrate me without feeling bad about anything else. And it's like, well, when's my turn coming, right? And, and, and I think that's really important for us during this time is because people give yourself a break. Like, like if you wanna take a nap, guess what? Celebrate that nap, like you needed it. Like you, like <laughs> you needed that nap. And it's probably the most amazing nap you've ever taken in your life. But all it was was a reset for you. And, and I think how you, how you succeed and, and how you really begin to have your mind help you thrive um, within the workplace, at school, and life is to really get healthy and to, again, take it one bite at a time. And I think that if, if, they, if nobody got anything out of what you said today, Laura, it's literally to see what it is, call things out, and then attack one thing at a time. Because I mean, and and then get, get 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 in there, get dirty with it. Um, because I think that's where the successful, like, I get excited about the awareness work, the self awareness and the self management work that you have to do from an emotional intelligence standpoint. When you master or you begin to go down those roads of self mastery, um, as it pertains to self management and really owning how you show up man, you, you turn into a game changer um, as it pertains to how you do support when you know how you're showing up. Well, and you know, the, to, to be fair, for me, that's one of the reasons that actually I find good um, assessments super mm-hmm. valuable, right? Because I think, you know, what we all live with in our heads is normal for us. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how unhealthy or how dysfunctional or how counterproductive or how much it doesn't serve us, what we live with is mm-hmm. normal. And until, until you start introducing new ways of looking at things, you can really get stuck in your own version of normal and, and your own ver- old version of normal might not be serving you and helping you get where you need to go. So sometimes just introducing a new lens yeah. that will often come with new language again, this, and I, I, I you know, I, not like a, I'm not on a Gallup sales pitch, but part of what I love about, um, the way Gallup breaks down strengths. You know, mm-hmm. I, I came up through startups. 
And I knew that there were a lot of things about that environment that I was very addicted to. And they brought out the best in me and they were super energizing and I get super excited about them. Um, but I didn't have the language to articulate what some of that was. And the first time I took my, my strength assessment by Gallup, my number one strength came back as activator. And once I read the definition of what that was, I was like, oh my God, that's exactly why the startup environment in the tech world back in you know the early 2000s was the exact right place for me. It's also, incidentally, exactly why it's really not the right place for me now because it's a mature market. What I liked about it was that it was this wild west kind of, you know, throw everything against the wall and see what sticks sort of thing, because that was, you know, my, you know, my top strengths were activator, strategic and focus. And those things, you know, right there by themselves, those top three were being tapped every single day in that environment. And then as the market got more mature and it got more process oriented and more deliberate and slowed down and best practices Mm -hmm. emerged, none of those like high intensity, oh, gotta go adrenaline rush kind of characteristics were being served in that environment because it became a more slow moving kind of, you know, disciplined, structured existence, which was not what was completely lighting my fire in the beginning, but I didn't understand why I kept trying to go back to the well, because I knew that had worked before. And I didn't understand what it was that I had originally gotten from that, that fueled me so thoroughly until I read what my strengths really were. And then I completely understood why my now mature industry stopped lighting my fire. And I had to go find that in other places. And I didn't have the language for that until I started looking at that and really breaking it down. And then it was like, oh, now I get it. Because before that, I could never have told somebody that my strength was, you know, triggering action, was mobilizing and getting people moving to execute against something. That's absolutely my number one strength. And I do that over and over and over again. And, wow. I, and now that I know that about myself and I know how to position myself as someone who does that when I talk to clients or prospective employers or anybody else, I can create, I can, I can create a dialogue that helps me get plugged into those kinds of opportunities so that I can go do that. Yeah. And it, it, it made all the difference in the world for me to seek out what I needed once I had the right language and I could piece the puzzle together. Because before that, I had these kind of this, this sort of amorphous pattern that was sort of floating out there and I couldn't figure out how, to use your phrase, to connect the dots. They weren't, yeah. they weren't lining up in a way that was making sense. As soon as I had a new set of definitions that I could apply to how I was showing up, I could see oh my God, that's why this environment worked for me and this one didn't. But then I went to this one and it was freaking amazing. Holy crap. And like once, once that started becoming clear, then I knew what to go after. And I also started understanding what I needed to do to get better and and what progress down that train looked like. Because if I had stayed on, on the old path, progress would have been very different. None of those things became possible until I was given a lens that allowed me to refocus and understand things in a new way. And so for me, that's why that Myers-Briggs, I mean, you can pick them. I am, there's so many different assessments that can be enormously valuable. I don't necessarily have a, you know, a preference for what somebody wants to pick. I just think it's a great way 
to take a different look at you and your life and how you show up and how you interact. Because sometimes it can really just drop the penny and you're like, oh my God, that makes so much sense now. And yeah. that's me when those moments that you're talking about happen, that, that realization of, I now understand why that boss and I butted heads over and over yep. and over and over again. But I understand why that one was my favorite boss ever. Exactly. Yeah, man. As, as y'all can see in here, Alora, she struggled to have content for today's session. She struggled. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like we did wander. I, I feel like I wandered off your question though. So, I mean, no. I think back to your original question. Yeah. Can you, can no, you rephrase your original question? So, so the original question was, you know, how do you, how do you navigate or how do you understand using your mind to thrive? And I would say you absolutely answer the question is you right went down the road of, using our strengths once mm -hmm. identified yep. to serve us yep. and i think in in being unapologetic about it like that was oh, yeah. the best part of it is you describing what right looked like for you mm -hmm. and i think if nobody gets anything is we need you need to do the homework you have to learn how you move and how you think and how you can thrive but that means your mind has to be clear and so you talking about meditation as a modality and these different things like throughout, like you dropped so many nuggets of what people can do to get clear, but they could, you just got to do it. Like you got to get in the game, but, or you're going to continue to see things as issues and problems and obstacles. It's because you're allowing them to be, you're not actively engaged with developing what right looks like for you, particularly around this, because Finding out what your strengths are and finding out how you navigate life, that is a win. That is a necessity for all of us oh, yeah. to get clear on that. And it's the only reason why me, me, and, me and you can actually do this every week yeah. is because we know what this means to us. Mm -hmm. But what we're trying to get out with these topics and, and you know the secret bag is, guess what? There's a lot of information available to us. We just got to go seek it out and we got to do something with it. Um, so no, you absolutely 100% unequivocally uh, okay, knocked my question, question out of the park. All right. Yeah. Well, there's one more thing I want to add to that, right? And I think it's, you You yeah. reminded me of it with what you were just saying there. Yeah. Um, you know, I think um, I think one of the things that that we forget sometimes is that the way we think about things is very, especially abstract concepts, is very tied to language. And the English language has fewer words for a lot of things that exist in other languages, right? And this is something that, you know, you'll hear things like, you know, the Eskimos had like, you know, 20,000 words for snow or, you know, or, or the Greeks had like 12 different words for love and they all meant different things, right? And, and we hear this, but I don't think a lot of times we necessarily recognize that sometimes the way we're looking at something is very, very confined with the actual words that we understand how to use. One of the reasons that I'm a colossal word nerd is because I find that it is sometimes the most useful. We talked about reframing last week, right? And for me, like the right word can reframe things so fantastically well if you actually get you know, the right, the right understanding or the right definition. But one of the things that you also have to sometimes come back to is 
English is sometimes kind of limited in certain ways, right? You know, you don't love your wife the same way you love your dog, the same way that you love chocolate ice cream, the same way that, you know, you love a Sunday morning. Like those, you, you can use the word love all those times, but mm-hmm. you don't, that's not the same feeling that you actually have. So sometimes stopping and saying, okay, I am struggling to find the right words for how I'm feeling. So you made a really fantastic point about, you know, knowing what's right. More often than not, and this is, comes back to basic coaching training, right? We know at a gut level what's right. That doesn't mean we always have the language to articulate what is it about it that is making it right. And so for me, that's where the assess- assessments and different lenses and different ways of looking at things can really help pop things into place because in your gut, you know, but you're struggling to be able to articulate it and, and trying to describe it to somebody else comes up short and you feel kind of like you're sounding crazy because you're talking about stuff and they're looking at you because it doesn't make sense to them. And so sometimes it's about finding the right language. And that I think to me has been the best thing about Gallup. It's the best thing for me about the energy leadership model in IPEC. It's the, one of the most useful things for me about, you know, how Myers-Briggs breaks things down. And I will find myself using each of those in different contexts because it provides a structure and a language and a framework and a sense of scale for how things move up and down and things like that, that without makes communication hard, both for yourself in your own head, as well as when you're trying to explain something to someone else. So for me, you know, I I come back to the language thing a lot and finding a language for things because I really feel um, that once you, once you start introducing new definitions and new ways of applying what is a very limited language in a lot of ways, you know, just by the nature of, of how many words we have in English versus ancient Greek or Latin or other uh, Japanese, you know, other, other languages that have far more nuance in a lot of ways than we have in English. And to be able to take a framework and a mental model and apply that in can sometimes be the difference between knowing it's right in your gut and being able to explain to somebody else what it is you feel in your gut. That's awesome. Man. Killed it. Okay. Well, in that case, I'm going to let you get an infomercial in for this week. Yes, yes, yes. So this Friday, we have part three of Connecting the Dots. And this week, Alora is one of our speakers. Again, she's going to be laying it down. Topic is manager as coach. Um, And so she's already got giving me her slides. She's ready to rock and roll. And we're really going to break down what that looks like. And I think that in and of itself is a topic that leaders really, really need of how they can really show up and ask first before telling, because we are all so good and we're subject matter experts. We can instruct, instruct, and point people in directions all day long. But I'm excited. Again, this event is free. Connecting the dots 2020 is the event on Eventbrite. So go register, be in the room. Yep. Awesome. And, and I am super excited. This is one of my favorite topics. I think the modern business environment is, is exactly begging for coaching as a, as a managerial model. And I think we really, really are never going to see the kind of engagement that we want and the kind of performance we want out of our teams. Mm -hmm. If we rely on old school, 
mid-century industrial age managerial models that yeah. do not fit the modern work environment. So I'm, I'm a huge, huge fan of this topic. I love it. It's one of my favorites. And so I can't wait until Friday. Awesome, awesome, awesome. All righty. Well, in that case, have a wonderful week, everyone. And uh, thank you, Lawrence. I will talk to you Friday on Connecting the Dots. All right. See you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me and Lawrence in this week's episode of Grow or Die. Tune in next week where we take on our next topic. Have a great week.